Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. I told you this story before, but humor me as I tell it again. I was about five years old, and my dad had just gotten off of duty. He's a police officer, and he comes home, he empties his pockets, and he puts on the nightstand his pocket knife. And he gets ready to get in the shower and to clean up after a long shift, and he says, whatever you do, don't touch the knife. Now, as a five-year-old little boy, being told, whatever you do, don't do this one thing. What do you think the one thing I wanted to do in this life more than anything in that moment was? I wanted to touch that knife. That knife was so mysterious. It's, it was like it was calling to me. It was like the ring from Lord of the Rings. My precious, right? I wanted to touch that knife more than anything I'd ever wanted to do in my life. And so when the door shut, I went to the nightstand, I opened the knife, and I sliced my thumb open. And I stood there for a moment in shock, staring at my thumb bleeding. And the pain wasn't so bad. What was bad is I knew in that moment that I was going to get caught. There was no hiding what I had just done. It was impossible for me to cover this one up. It wasn't going to happen. And so even still... In my little five-year-old brain, I walked into the kitchen, I pulled up a chair from the dining room, I turned on the kitchen faucet, and I tried to wash the blood off of my thumb, hoping that I could somehow get rid of the evidence. Now, the cut was deep enough that that was impossible to do. I got down, I went in, and I hid in my closet, sitting there, crisscrossed applesauce, staring at my thumb until my parents, or my dad got out of the shower, he followed the trail of blood to the kitchen sink, saw the chair there, followed it into my room and into my closet where I was hiding in shame because of what I had done. Oftentimes in life, it's the self-inflicted wounds that are the most painful. You've got no one to blame but yourself. It's not that you can point the finger and say, well, I, I am this way because my parents treated me like this when I was young. I am this way because I didn't have the same opportunities, or I am this way because of how my spouse treats me, or, or because of anyone else's fault. You have no one to blame but yourself. It's the self-inflicted wounds that are often the most painful. The book of Genesis, we see the very first sin committed by Adam and Eve. When they partook of the forbidden fruit, God had said, you can have anything in the whole garden to eat from. You can pick from any tree. You can have all of these fruits. Just I just ask one thing. Just do not take from the tree that is in the midst of the garden, in the middle of the garden. If you even touch that tree, you're sure to die. And so guess which tree you think they wanted to eat from more than any of the other trees in the garden? It's just that tree. And to begin with today, what I want you to see is that sin is so deceptive. 
we're going to be discussing the fact that some of us this morning, you've come here and you're suffering, but you're not suffering because of grief or because of fear or, or because of sickness or any of the other things we've discussed. You're suffering today because of your own choices. You're suffering today because of sin that you've allowed into your life that you will not get rid of. You're suffering and it's self-inflicted this morning. Sin is seductive. The enemy was there in the midst of the garden and the, the enemy comes in the form of a serpent, comes slivering to Eve and says, did God really tell you you can't eat from any of the trees? Well, yes, he said, I could have any of the fruit I wanted except for this one tree I can't eat from. Are you sure? Did God really tell you that? I think what God is trying to, to keep you from is from you becoming like him because God knows if you eat of that fruit, you're going to become like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. And so in Eve's mind, she says, well, maybe what the serpent's saying makes a lot of sense. Sin is seductive. Sin is calling your name. Sin is beckoning you to come. It's the one thing that you want to touch more than anything else. And so Eve reasons in her mind. She says, well, the tree looks pretty beautiful. The fruit looks juicy and delicious. I'm going to partake of this fruit. I, I think what the serpent says makes a lot of sense. God just doesn't want me to know what he knows. And so Eve took and she ate and she passed the fruit to her husband, Adam. And Adam partook of that fruit as well. And the fall of mankind happened. Sin entered into the world. The word sin literally means to miss the mark. It's an archery term where you're trying to hit the bullseye. You're trying to do what is right, but no matter how hard you try to aim, you're all over the place. And so in that moment, they both missed the mark. God had said, this is the only thing that I ask you don't do. And they did it anyways. And here's the thing. If you or I were in her place, we would have partaken of the fruit as well. Oftentimes we say, though, you know, it's so ridiculous that they fell into this sin. There's no possible way that if I were in her shoes, I would have partaken of the fruit. Yes, you would have. You know how come I know this? Because you partake of forbidden things every single day and you try to make excuses for it. It's the truth. Every single one of you struggles with something this morning. Every single one of you has a forbidden fruit that is seducing you and drawing you away from the Lord. Now, I, I did a little bit of research on this. I don't know if there's any football fans in here, but the New England Patriots, they say that they have over 1,000, 1,000 offensive passing plays in their playbook. 1,000 plays. So the offense has to be acquainted with those 1,000 plays in order for the team to be effective. All right, now they're not going to actually use all thousand plays every week. The coaches might pull out and say, look, we're going to have these 80 in our playbook for this week. But you got to know these 80 because you're not sure whether or not we're going to call these 80 plays. All right. The reason why they're so effective is because they have so many different options and their team is all in tune with one another and they know what's going to happen when that play is called. But now think about this just for a moment. How effective would the New England Patriots be if they only had three plays in their playbook and they reuse those same plays over and over and over again? That's easy for a defense to prepare for. You see that? 
It's very difficult to prepare for a thousand passing plays. But if you only have three plays in your playbook, you can plan for that. There's no way that kind of a team with three offensive plays is ever going to be successful. But that's exactly what the enemy does every day. He has three plays that he uses over and over and over again in order to try to destroy you. And you fall for it over and over and over again. Let me read this to you. This is 1 John chapter 2. It says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Here's the enemy's playbook. I'm giving you some insight. I'm showing you the offense that he has so you can prepare a defense. So that you can be prepared when the enemy comes against you. There are three plays that he's going to use over and over and over again. It's the same three plays that Adam and Eve fell for in Genesis. The first one it says here, the desires of the flesh. The second one, the desires of the eyes. The third one, the pride of life. The book of James says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured away and enticed by his own desire. Your own desires, the desires of your flesh, that sin nature that is in you, it's luring you, enticing you away from God's presence. The place you need to be more than any place is in God's presence. But inside you, there's this war that is being waged. And Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, he says that there's this war that is happening. There's this tug of war. It's like World War III breaking out within you. And within you, the desires of the flesh are at war with the desires of the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are at war with the desires of the flesh. These are contrary to one another, and you have to understand that the enemy's trying to get you to follow the desires of the flesh by appealing to that fleshly nature, by appealing to your eyes, by appealing to your pride. So how does this flesh out for Adam and Eve? Well, the fruit looked good, the desires of the eyes. It looked good. The pride of life, you can be like God. Did God really say you can't eat of that? It looks good to eat. It'll be tasty, the desires of the flesh. Do you see how the playbook worked itself out in Adam and Eve, and they fell for this sin because the enemy was seducing them? Jesus, when he was being tempted in the wilderness, before he began his public ministry, the enemy used the same three tactics to try to entice Jesus. He says to Jesus, Jesus, you're hungry, aren't you? Turn those stones into bread, the desires of the flesh. You're hungry. Feed yourself. Jesus says, well, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So the enemy tempts him further. Well, if that's the case, why don't you come up here to this pinnacle? And why, why don't you like, cast yourself off this cliff? If that's the case, if you want to quote God's word, God's word also says that his enemies will keep charge over you and will rescue you. So jump and show everyone who you are. The pride of life. Finally, he takes him to... The pinnacle of the temple shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says, I will give you all of this if you'll just bow down and worship me. Desires of the eyes. Now Jesus doesn't succumb to that 
sin because he's the only perfect man. He's the only one who couldn't or wouldn't succumb to that. But the rest of us, we fall for it every day. The Bible says that the enemy uses schemes. He devises plans. Any of you remember watching the old cartoons of Wiley e. Coyote and the Roadrunner? Right? And over and over again, that wily e. coyote is trying to set these traps to finally catch the roadrunner, and the roadrunner always gets away, right? The enemy's constantly trying to set traps in your life to catch you, to keep you from God's presence. The scripture says that sin is like a snare. It says that we should lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us and run to Jesus. To run to him, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That that's where we need to be is in God's presence. But the results of sin in our lives, just like in the life of Adam and Eve, will always be that of shame. When Adam and Eve partook of that fruit, all of a sudden their eyes were open and they looked down at themselves and they weren't wearing any clothing. And so they tried to cover themselves with leaves and they ran and it says... They hid behind the bushes when they heard God approaching. Why? Because they were ashamed of what they had become. Brian mentioned over and over again throughout his testimony that he was so ashamed. The only escape that he saw was taking his life. That's the extent to which that shame drove him. Many of you this morning are here and you're suffering from some sort of sin. And you are ashamed because of your sin. And you are hiding in closets and in corners, staring at your bleeding thumb because you're ashamed of what you've done. You fled from the presence of God. And guess what? That's exactly what the enemy wants. The enemy does not want you to enjoy God's presence. The enemy does not want you to experience his love and his grace and his mercy. So he baits you with this sin so that when you fall into sin, you become ashamed and you hide from God. When Jesus came onto the scene, he taught that he was loving like no other would ever love. The love that he has was special, but he says that this is what condemnation is. John chapter 3, this is judgment that light has come into the world. He's speaking of himself. And people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. That they chose to remain in darkness rather than come into the light of God because they were worried that their deeds would be exposed, that their shame would be made known. And so they choose to hide in the corners in the darkness rather than to come into the light. Listen to Ephesians chapter 5. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful to even speak of the things that they, the lost, do in secret. Some of you would be ashamed if we knew what you were struggling with this morning. You cannot hide that sin from God. We treat God like he's the parent who's trying to potty train the toddler. Now, let me preface this by saying, because my children might watch this later, or they have friends up here that are going to go say, hey, this is what your dad said about you. No, I'm not talking about my children here, all right? I'm talking about all of our children here, all right? When you were potty training your child, you're trying to get them to figure out how to go on the toilet, right? When they're first beginning to learn, 
they go and they run and they hide somewhere so they can handle their business, and then they come back a stinking, smelling mess. Is this not true? We do this with our sinfulness before God. God is trying to say, I don't want you to be a mess. I don't want you to stink. I don't want you to run and to hide in shame to handle your business. I want you to bring that to me. I want us to take care of it out in the open. I want to handle that business with you so that you don't feel like you have to run and hide anymore. The, the book of Ephesians calls our sinfulness like a wall of separation that we've put up, and it separates us from God's goodness. Today, what God wants you to hear is he doesn't want you to be separated from him any longer. He doesn't want you to hide in shame any longer. He doesn't want you to deal with your own mess any longer. It's insane for you to believe you can hide your mess, your diaper from God. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12. Nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. Whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on housetops. You cannot cover up your sin. The author of Hebrews says that we're all naked and open to him to whom we must give an account. The root for our suffering in sinfulness is the fact that it causes shame and drives us from the presence of God. One of my favorite verses in Scripture, 1 Peter 5, 8. And you say, well, how can this possibly be a favorite verse of yours? Because it tells me how dangerous the fight is. Listen to what it says. Your adversary, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. This is the seduction of the enemy. This is what the enemy is trying to do. Take a look at this video real quick and look at how this lion hunts, how this lion seeks out its prey. Watch this for a moment. See how it's hiding there? All these, I don't know what those are. Gazelles, maybe? What are they? Gazelles. Let's call them gazelles. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I don't think you can stone me for that one. So watch what happens. It's hiding. It's lurking. The scripture says that sin is crouching at your door. Your adversary, the enemy, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Oh, look, here comes one on its own, separated from the pack. Now, I've chose a video where the gazelle gets away. All right? I didn't want to put you guys through that. I want you guys to have some hope, right? But did you see how crafty the lion is? It's crouching, ready to pounce, waiting for the moment for the meal to arrive. The word devour means to swallow whole. Your adversary, your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's crouching, waiting to pounce on you, waiting at the door. Jesus told Peter that the enemy is trying to sift you. He's asked for you by name, the devil has, and is trying to sift you as wheat, trying to separate you from the rest of the herd, trying to get you off in a corner, hiding in the darkness, in the shame, 
so that he can destroy your life, to devour you, to annihilate you, to swallow you whole. Sin is seductive. And if you want to be able to withstand the power of sin, you have to know the enemy's playbook. You have to see that he's going to appeal to you through the lust of your flesh and the lust of the eyes, what you see, and your pride that you have. He's going to appeal to those every single time. Those are the only three plays that he has in his playbook. And if you know the playbook, you can plan for the game. So first off, we see that sin is seductive. But secondly, I want you to see that sin is destructive. Turn to Judges chapter 16 if you have your Bibles. Sin is destructive. While you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of a backstory. The nation of Israel has judges that are placed over them. They don't have kings as of yet. So these judges are people who've been raised up by God to kind of protect and oversee and care for the people of Israel. And one of these men was named Samson. He was born to a woman who was told by God that he was to be a Nazarite. That means that he wasn't supposed to eat of the vine or to drink any wine. He wasn't supposed to ever cut his hair or a razor wasn't supposed to come to his head. He wasn't supposed to come into contact with dead animals or dead people. This man was a very powerful man. The scripture actually says that he came across a lion one day and tore the lion into bits as the lion tried to attack him with his bare hands. The scripture says that when he was opposed by some Philistines, the Philistine armies, that he slayed a thousand men with just the jawbone of a donkey. Think about that just for a second. And then he heaped their bodies into a pile. He slayed them with a thousand, okay? And so here's a man who's very powerful, been called by God to stand over and to protect the people of Israel, but he allowed the seductiveness of sin to draw him away from God's presence, and it led to his destruction. Here's a man who thinks that he's above and beyond all else. There's pride in his life, and there's no man that is more powerful than him, and so he thinks that there's no one and nothing that can touch him, and so a woman by the name of Delilah catches his attention, and he falls madly and deeply in love with this woman, and this woman is approached by the Philistines, and the Philistines offer her 11,000 pieces of silver in order to discover what Samson's source of strength is. And so this woman, Delilah, says the first time to Samson, Samson, if you really love me, you would tell me your secrets. What is the key to your strength? First time he says, well, the way that my strength can be taken is if someone were to tie me with seven bowstrings that have never been used. And so she ties him up with these bowstrings and then calls for the Philistines. And Samson gets up and breaks the bowstrings and chases off the Philistines. And she's upset. How can you say you love me and lie to me? What's the source of your strength? Well, if you were to bind me with new ropes that have never been used, then there's no way I could break those ropes. And so she ties him up and calls for the Philistines. And Samson gets up and he breaks the ropes And the Philistines flee once more. I can't believe you lied to me, Delilah says. You think by now Samson would catch on to what's going on here, right? I can't believe you lied to me. If you really loved me, you would tell me the source of your strength. Well, if you weave my hair, which is the source of my strength, if you weave my hair into a weaver's beam 
And then the people come to try to attack me. There's no way I could defeat them. And so she weaves his hair into a weaver's beam. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. The Philistines come in. He breaks it loose. He chases them off. And she says the same thing yet again. If you really love me, you would tell me how you get your strength. And then he does something he never should have done. He says, my hair has never been shaven. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.